Hey guys, welcome to Two Guys and Hockey Talk. How you doing, Pavel? Welcome back for another week. Happy one day after Valentine's Day, Evan. How are you? Hey, I'm doing sweet. Get it? Sweet. But not quite as sweet as tonight's show shall be. Oh, I thought you... That was your liner, dude. You're too busy doing the work behind the scenes, I guess. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, hey, guys. Thanks for joining us here at the Two Guys in Hockey Talk every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as at the Sports Empire Network and on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe just so we are on the Tiki channel. For those of you that are in the United States, you can check all things if you go over to Sports uh, Empire Network. Working with, thank them for our partnership and all those guys that uh, come out and join in. So, hey, hey, Zale, great to see you. Hey, woohoo. Yeah, Pavel, what's with the horns? Zilster wants to know right off the top. The horns? Oh, these, yeah. Well, my hair's just getting <laughs> wild now. And as you can tell, maybe we'll do a charity thing and you can shave my head, Evan, after yeah. you grow a beard. Or we could take my hair and give it to you as a beard, you know, one of those like fake lumberjack sweet, beards. But sweet, I'm doing good. Sweet. The horns, I'm just bringing out my best New Jersey Devils, Zilstra. That's what I'm doing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, where at? Oh, my goodness. Are you ever getting commands tonight? All right, well, as we promised last week, we are happy to have back this week Glenn Ringdahl. It's a pleasure to introduce you tonight. You are a past president, of course, of the BCHL Chilliwack Chiefs. Woo-hoo! Back to Chilliwack. Actually, one of... uh, our uh, followers, Zilstra, is in Washington trucking tonight, and she actually is over in Chilliwack as well. Lived there for many, many years with a lot of the other family members. Uh, but just so you guys know, not only is he he's also the past president of the BC Lions, two times I found out in the conversations, uh, he's done work with the BC Lions, and now uh, he is on the alumni, the Vancouver Connects alumni, and as well, he is a former vice president of uh, the Vancouver Canucks. And we like to talk a lot of business around hockey tonight. I am so happy to have you on tonight. Thanks, Glenn Ringdahl, for uh, joining us tonight. Well, thank you very much, Rev. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm sorry that uh, it didn't work out last week. Uh, but uh, I'm sure the anticipation has just grown universally. So. <laughs> well, we'll, have, we'll have some fun tonight. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, especially if you love stories, tonight could be a great story night. Um, So, first of all, thank you again for coming. We're very honored to have you on with us tonight and for taking the time and also trying to get back on this week, even though last week didn't work uh, as well. So, it's okay. We just kind of, uh, you know, as they said, uh, shot the shit. And uh, we talked a lot around (laughs) All-Star Game and everything else. And the next thing you knew, we were already an hour into our show and... uh, we were okay, Glenn, without you for one week. One week, but we needed you for tonight for the story. So um, I, I just, I was going to ask you, uh, I know when we uh, were talking off air, you were talking about, because I was going to say, what got you passionate about hockey? And you had a different answer because you said you're not really into sports, but you love sports. Maybe you can explain a little bit more about what you mean by that. I often say that uh, that uh, I'm not a hockey fan, but I'm a big fan of hockey, uh, and really of sports altogether. Uh, when you're doing a little rundown on things I've done, I I was also the president of the uh, Vancouver. They were called the '86ers there. Now they're called the Whitecaps again. 
but in professional soccer. Uh, we took that over when I was running the BC Lions football club. Oh. For Mr. Braley. And uh, I happened to be at a dinner, uh, a sports dinner uh, yeah. night. And it was the very night that the fate of the uh, uh, professional soccer club in BC was going to be settled. Uh, because if the UBC didn't take it over from the past owners, it was going to fold and they were going to send the, the franchise back to uh, the league. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, so uh, I knew nothing about it. Uh, but uh, because Carl Valentine was there and he was a, you know, a big star in, in soccer here and he was the coach of the team at the time. And so I managed to get from him what the situation was, and he said, uh, "Well, if we if we don't get it solved tonight, it's uh, it's curtains for soccer." And uh, oh wow! As, as the night went on, uh, our our host John Makichi uh, uh, came up to the mic and said, "Well, I have bad news for you. Uh, UBC has turned it down, and so that means the end of professional soccer in British Columbia." I oh. said. Oh. I thought, well, that's just horrible. I, I, I know how, how popular soccer is, how, how important it is to, especially the young people. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I, the next day I phoned Mr. Braley, who owned uh, the BC Lions, of which I was president at the time. And I said, Do you, would you mind if I investigate the possibility of us maybe taking it over until we could get it into the hands of people that really care more about soccer than we do? Yeah, and uh, Mr. Braley was also had the same kind of attitude about sports that I do, and he said, "Okay," and he came back a little bit later and he said, "Okay, here's the deal: you can buy it because uh, you could get it for nothing, just take it yeah. out. And uh, <laughs> as long as uh, I don't lose more than fifty thousand dollars a year, I'm okay with it." Okay, <laughs> so I said, "Okay, that's a deal." So I, I investigated a little more, and what I the only guy I knew in soccer period was Bob Leonarduzzi, and Bob Leonarduzzi was is Mister so Soccer in Canada, really. Absolutely, and just a most wonderful guy. And so I said to Carl, "What? Where's Bobby? What's he doing?" He said, "Well, he's coaching the national team at the moment, uh, but uh, that's probably not going to last a long time. I think he's on the, his last legs there in that job." So I phoned Bob and I talked to him and uh, he said, well, if something could be worked out because I'm under contract to Hockey Canada, uh, I'd be interested in coming back and, and working with the team. So then I phoned the head of Hockey or Soccer Canada and uh, he said, well, that might just be perfect. He said, matter of fact, Bob's work is now done. But his contract still got about four months to go on it. So what we would be prepared to do is to continue to pay him for the next four months, but he could come and start working for you guys. Well, it, it just really fell into our laps. <clears throat> so he came out, he and, and Carl Valentine put together a program. We ended up with a heck of a team and, uh, and really did quite well. Uh, sold the team <clears throat> three, three years later. Uh, for $300,000. So Mr. Braley not only got all his money back, we got a really nice interest payment on it as well. And we put wow. the, the soccer team into the hands of people who cared about soccer. 
Oh, that that's so cool. <laughs> that's, Story number one. <laughs> no, we love it. We love it. Uh, Evan, do you want to go next or do you want me to? Uh, yeah, you go ahead, bud. All right. Well, you, you know, it sounds like you have a real good passion for that business side of, of sports, whether it is hockey, which is primarily what you're known for, but also soccer, uh, amongst other sports. And, and, and there is a whole world there that people sometimes often forget that there is a business side where, you know, it's dollar in, dollar out, as you talked about investments. But with that, um, could you speak a little bit about your leadership and philosophy when going into the mindset of running a sports organization and what that looks like? You know, the example that often people will, will point to is Lou Lamorello in New York. And, you know, he has this philosophy of like players can't have beards or facial hair, right? Which I would never fit in. But just your <laughs> thoughts of leadership and, and, and philosophy of how you approach this situation. And I'll have a follow up after, but I'll, I'll let you answer first. Well, yeah, the truth is, as I said, I'm not a hockey fan, but I'm a fan of hockey. Really, because I know how important sports can be in a community. Certainly to the individuals that are engaged in it, how they play, how they learn to, to play with others and work with others, if you will. Uh, how they uh, can deal with their coaches and... Uh, and, and all of the mechanics of the, the sport that they're in. But also they end up representing a much bigger community. It might be just their, I'll call it their village, or it might be an area, the lower mainland, or it might be all of British Columbia, or it might be all of Canada, where you end up with, with a jurisdiction that you represent when you're on a, on a team in a league. And uh, so, yes, I, I cared very much that we, we did our best to not lose money because somebody has to pay the bill. And so there's always right. a, mm -hmm. uh, a person who, who feels the way I do, I guess, but happens to have a lot of money. I did, I'm not the guy with the money, but I knew people with money. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we were able to put together uh, the kind of operation that... Uh, was affordable for the, those people, uh, but yet accomplished the job. And I was in pursuit of excellence. Um, mm. I, it was very important to me that we had programs that were intent on winning. I, w I wasn't content mm. that we would just have a, a, a football or a hockey or a, a soccer team that participated. I don't believe in participation ribbons. Uh, but that they strive to win and to bring uh, a, a championship, if you will, to, to your area and to the sport that you're involved in. So there was definitely a pursuit of excellence. And, and one of my jobs would be to put all of the elements of the team and the organization together. So that would include not just the players, but the coaches, uh, maybe the medical side, maybe the the ticketing side, whatever, all, all the different parts of it to try to make them all work uh, with a purpose of being successful. You, you don't make it all the time, particularly in these uh, amateurish sports. Yeah. Uh, you don't make it all the time. And you sure as heck don't make it in <laughs> sometimes in the big leagues. In the, in yeah. the years when I was uh, in charge of the Vancouver Canucks, we didn't make money ever anywhere near it. 
but uh, the idea was you tried to do the best you could for the owners or owners so they would lose as little as possible and still have the greatest opportunity for success uh, in, in winning and uh, therefore garnering more support from ticket buyers, sponsors, advertisers, supporters of, of all kinds and build a really good organization. We are lucky in hockey because we had the Griffiths family. And that's a, right. exactly the way they, they thought. Um, Mr. Griffiths, Frank, uh, really put a lot into it. I remember one time we were going through a real t tough time. Things were not going well at all. And the crowd, the fans were getting more and more discontent. And I remember walking out one night after a, another bad game and some guy yelled, uh, I was walking beside Mr. Griffiths. I wasn't with him, but I was just walking beside him. And, uh, and some fan yelled out, I'm sick and tired of wasting 20 bucks a night on this junk. <laughs> and Mr. Griffiths says, well, I'm sick and tired of wasting $50,000 a night on this junk. I heard him do something about it. <laughs> and, uh, it's true though <laughs> yeah and, and and that is the kind of money he was losing and wow. uh, and and it just wasn't satisfactory so what are we going to do what are we going to do uh so two important things happened at that time one is we decided we had we had to improve our personnel team uh, coaches the whole work certainly the coaches that's good that's, and, that's and, fantastic and so we yeah, yeah. we, there's, we there's made a lot more uh, we made a decision to yeah. significantly raise the ticket prices when i say significantly i mean like 25 percent raise right right <clears throat> somebody had the bright idea and it was a wasn't me and it was a really good idea before we went to the public and to the ticket holders and the fans, we called in the media and we said to the media, here's the situation. This problem has to get solved. And one way it can get solved is by getting a lot better personnel, personnel and that means more money. Should all that money come from Mr. Griffith's pocket mm. or should it come partly from the from the rest of the of the partnership, i.e. the fans. And yeah. we're of the mind that they should share in it. And if they're ready to make the commitment, then Mr. Griffiths is prepared to make the big commitment. And uh, so we got the, the media understood that argument. And so when, when we announced it, you didn't have the media just picking you to pieces about all these buggers are taking all, all the fans' money. No, they were supportive. And yeah. it went through like that. And nobody complained because as soon as that was announced, the next thing that happened is we started to make some improvement. We made some significant tra player trades and uh, that led to the hiring of Pat Quinn as the uh, general manager, president, and even head coach for at some point. Uh, it, it that, that's fabulous. Just so you know, our co-host Pavel. I don't know if you noticed. It's like he was interrupting you in the middle of your your story. I think he got lagged behind by the virtual reality of the internet. So mm. I I booted him out. He'll be on his way back in in a few. So <laughs> <laughs> um so uh so what I was gonna I was gonna ask you then 
is uh, so as a vice president, uh, when you were serving, oh, there we are. We'll bring him back in. Are you back in, Pavel? Are you with us? Oh, I got his hair combed too. Yeah. <laughs> it looks good now. <laughs> Can you hear us, Pavel? No, I he can't hear us. So we'll just talk w without him, Glenn. Let's so, talk about him. Yeah. So, so um, as vice president of the Vancouver Canucks, yeah. may maybe you can um, just give people an idea. Obviously, the roles change now when it comes to salary caps and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but now, now having a salary cap it changes. But what was your what business were you working on behind the scenes back in the day when you were vice president? Well, the marketing side, uh, my title was director of marketing and communications. Okay. And um, it wasn't originally, it was, it was called promotions and communications because there was a marketing director, but not that long after I started, the fellow who was the marketing director uh, chose to leave to go into another business. And uh, so because I was already sticking my nose into it a lot and I've <laughs> done a fair amount of the marketing activities at the BC Lions prior to it, before Arthur hired me, he said, well, why don't you just take that on too? So then I had marketing communications and of course, okay. under. <clears throat> so my job was, was to deal with everything from tickets, merchandise, uh, uh, public relations, uh, events, public events, um, everything that wasn't hockey was mine. Okay. And so we end when Pat came, and that was a really big deal, and it was the best move ever made at the Vancouver Canucks. Um, he 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 set up our our management group very simply. There was just four of us. There was uh, Pat was the boss. Yeah. And then we had Brian Burke was the uh, head of hockey operations. Yeah. I was the head of um, all the marketing and communication. And in the middle was the accountant. Because <laughs> uh, the way we used to laugh about it was my, it was my job to raise the money, Brian Burke's job to spend the money, and <laughs> Carlos's job to keep track. <laughs> um, we, did, out. we did everything with the blessing of, of uh, Pat, which he he organized the four of us, and sometimes Arthur Griffiths, who was the de facto owner, uh, would join us, and we called that the management council. That's his, that's all it was. Four people, sometimes five. Uh, if you go into the Canucks office today, that same group is about thirty-five. <laughs> wow. Anyway, maybe maybe even more. I might, might even be later. <laughs> wow. So anyway, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it was. Then I had a ticket manager. I had a PR guy. I, I, I you know, I had a few people on there. It just as the hockey side had coaches and assistant coaches and trainers and medical and, and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we made it very, very simple. And the whole, the bottom line was, how can we get better in all ways? And how can we lose as little money as possible that's about the simple philosophy that we brought okay, okay so the, just just to touch in on that so dealing with you know the the operations part of it i believe in one of our side conversations that we had last week is that you had mentioned so 
uh, just like I'm welcoming Pavel back on my as my co-host, you yeah, welcome you. to you welcome to Pavel, but a Pavel Bure. Yeah. Uh, and you were sharing. So may, maybe tell, sh share a little bit behind the scenes about your experience and getting him over and um, like just kind of behind the scenes stuff that maybe most of us aren't familiar with, but we all love, love the guy. Okay. Well, yeah, I think most people do re appreciate that the, us getting Pavel was the, the, through the work of Brian Burke. Mm. He, 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 he gets virtually all the credit for pulling that one off because it wasn't easy getting people out, out of there and don't forget we had already had the experience of, of uh, uh, Igor Larionov and uh, uh, Krutov. Krutov, Krutov wasn't a good experience but yeah no. but the two of them came together and so we had been yeah. through that process um, Pat also had invited uh, uh, Tarasov, Mr. Tarasov, who was the head coach of the Red Army team for years. Okay, yeah. yeah. Kind of the godfather of hockey in, in Russia, over to one of our, uh, our training camp one year. That was a, a heck of an experience. He lived up to all of the imagery that we we have of those kind of guys. Like, we were la I was laughing there about my my glass of gin here. Right? It's, of, course, yeah. of course, it's water. But... <laughs> Tarasov, he would drink that like vodka, and I yeah. mean, straight <laughs> down. <laughs> he, it's like, it's like was, water for them, right? So essentially, they're, they're Yeah, and uh, so we had a lot, a lot of interesting stuff happen around that whole Russian thing. But that's how um, Brian got ingrained into that group and right. got access. And so we helped Pavel get out of Russia. He ended up in California, and he didn't. He, he was not yet committed to us, even mm. though we were very helpful in that. And so it took some really good work, and then a wise decision, I think, on Pavel's part to uh, sign with the Canucks and, and come here. Uh, and uh, I became very good friends with his father. His father came with him. Little little sidebar. Uh, most people have never heard of of uh, Pavel's father, but was it Sergey or Vladimir? No, Vladimir was his brother. No, no Valerie was the brother. Valerie, Valerie yeah. Vladimir, <laughs> Vladimir was the father. Yeah, and yeah, see, and he, um, <laughs> when he was young, he was a swimmer. Remember, not he just yeah. Uh, he, he was in the he was in the Olympic Games and there was uh, an Olympic swimmer that he a guy won seven gold Mark, Mark Mark something I think Mark Spitz. Uh, there you go Spitz yeah okay yeah. well who won the silver every, every time he won the gold mm. Vladimir Burry oh so that that was Pavel's dad okay yeah. and we never heard of him because everybody talked about Spitz because he was winning all the, all the gold. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he was a championship. His uh, Pavel's mother was a championship uh, ice hockey or uh, uh, ice skater. Ice skater. Yes. Yeah. So they were very sports oriented. So they were actually pretty well off in Russia. Because if you're that kind of a hero, you get rewarded with a big apartment and car. 
So, but anyway, I became very, very, very friendly with with the father. We had an awful lot of fun together. That's many side stories. Um, but it, it was a, a really good thing. My wife used to give Pavel heck all the time because he never would eat his vegetables. We'd, we'd have banquets or parties or, or whatever, and he, he, all he would eat was meat. You know, nothing wrong with meat, but. Yeah, all yeah. It wouldn't hurt, you know. So she used it's, to give him heck, make him eat his vegetables. It's it's pretty cool just to see the transition of like how or what conditioning or the idea, quote unquote, conditioning was in the eighties, nineties, and versus what it is now with yes. how athletes treat their bodies, what they eat. So that's quite quite the story. I think um, I think it speak all of that speaks to the whole notion of how seriously we take a big sport. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just a bunch of guys or girls out yes. having fun playing a game they love. Uh, it was very serious, and not to yeah. say that it, years past there weren't organizations that did that, but all organizations didn't do it. Nowadays, all organizations yeah. do it. Well, and it's a multi-billion-dollar business for so many now, right? There's so much on the line. Um, one thing that we talked about, which I didn't know, I'm, I'm glad we had some side conversation, um, was the fact that I told you out of all the rockets to play in the NHL, my favorite was the Russian rocket. Right. Um, and and then you brought something to my attention about how did he get that name, the Russian rocket? Well, I don't know how it it was first in. Uh, thought of but it, it came out or somebody was saying it whatnot so uh, I um, I copyrighted the, the name Russian rocket and uh, yeah. so I actually owned it for several years <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did it only to, to make sure nobody else did and did something with yeah. it you know yeah and, and when I left the Canucks I signed it over to the hockey club they owned it. We, It'd we be interesting it. to see if they still have it, eh? Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure yeah. they do. There's no reason for them not to. It, co- it costs very little money to maintain a um, uh, copyright like that. And, and before we go off the subject of Burray, maybe if you can just also elaborate. You, uh, so it sounds like, so now, God bless his soul, Gino Ajik, who is now passed, um, he sounded like he was had quite the friendship, actually, with uh, Burray. They were really the best of friends. It, it, it was all, almost like a Mutt and Jeff thing. The, the two of them together, they were always together. One was big and strong, and the other one was small and wiry. And, and fast. <laughs> uh, 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 but they were always together, and, uh, and I know they would have done anything for each other. They, they really wow. loved each other. It was, it was a great relationship, and it was so valuable for both of them because they both or outsiders, uh, um, Pavel coming from Russia, and uh, Gino having come from uh, a First Nations uh, community in Quebec. Mm. Oh, <laughs> so, that's right, Quebec. Yeah. Yeah, re- really, really yeah. foreign from being here in Vancouver in British Columbia. Yeah. So it, they they had a, a common bond over that. Uh, neither one of them could speak English. <laughs> Them, <laughs> but they gradually got better and better. And uh, uh, I don't know how they communicated at first, but uh, they they had a real bond that was very very valuable to both of them. 
I wonder. I, I wonder if Pavel was just showing him a bunch of meat or taking him for dinners with meat-only dishes. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah, Gino was a wonderful guy. We had uh, just a week ago last Saturday. We had the celebration of life. Uh, for Gino, uh, put on by the Musqueam Band uh, out here in Vancouver. Oh, they have right. a uh, uh, hall in, uh, at Musqueam Reserve. And uh, <clears throat> they invited the, the alumni, especially those who had worked or played with Gino. Uh, so there was about probably 20 of us there. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a wonderful send-off for Gino. All, all of the major leaders of First Nations tribes across the country were there, including the the, wow. grand, the grand chief for all of Canada was there. Wow. It's a lady, and she spoke, and several others of them spoke. A number of our uh, hockey guys spoke. Uh, Dave Babich, particularly on our part, mm. and uh, it, it was a wonderful send off for Gino, who was a wonderful guy. We we loved him. He, he would just sit and talk. I remember about you know three months ago, something like that. I went to the, our, our suite. We have an alumni suite at the hockey games, and uh, uh, he and I sat together and talked for the whole game. Hardly even watched the game. Talk, <laughs> talk, As you can tell, I can talk. So. Well, so, I mean, you alluded to the fact that you're part of the Canucks alumni. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if you can maybe elaborate, are you still involved at all with the organization now? Or is it more just an honorarium and you just enjoy kind of chatting with the fans, schmoozing with them, you know, maybe season ticket holders, having conversations with, with management, things of that nature? I, I have nothing to do with the management or, or the running of the club. I, I am, um, how I got involved was uh, one of my good friends, John Grisdale, he's, he's uh, on the board of the alumni and and we we're, were friends because he ran, he was the president of the uh, BC Junior Hockey League when I was running the Chiefs. And uh, so we became very good friends there. And anyway, one day we were just talking and he said something about the alumni. He said, you're a member of the alumni? And I said, no, I'm not. He said, why not? And I said, well, nobody ever asked me. <laughs> oh, he said, well, we'll fix that. So the next thing you know, I got elected into being a member of the alumni and, uh, and then we started having talks about the the difference between the the elements of the alumni. There's the, the fun and games side of it, if you will, and the hockey and you know camaraderie and all that. But there's the business side where you raise money for important charities, and uh, you know everybody's not good for everything. So, That's right. And he said, well, you know, why don't we create a fund? One of the problems was if you gave money to the Canucks alumni, you couldn't get a tax receipt for it because that's not a tax receivable kind of organization. So we said, let's form a foundation uh, as a uh, offshoot of the alumni association that, that can get a tax exempt status and also can, can talk more to the business community of British Columbia get them involved to create more significant events, to raise more money, create more awareness of the goodness and, and help give the players that who we call the stars of our, our past stars of the game. Yeah. Uh, uh, a platform to work in. 
And uh, so that's what we're doing now. The, the organization's just two, two and a half years old. Um, okay. and, uh, we're getting it organized. Uh, we've got some really, really good people that are working on it. Arthur was made a chairman and, uh, and I was made vice chairman of the foundation. Kind of the same roles we had when I worked for him at the, at the hockey club originally, when he was the president and I was the vice president. And here we are back again. And uh, and Arthur is the most wonderful guy to work with and for. Uh, in this case, I don't work for him, but I work with him. And with him. It's just yeah. a, a joy, and and he he has nothing but good goodness in his heart, and uh, and he's got a lot of contacts, a lot of relationships that can be very beneficial to bringing the alumni back out into the public in a, in a stronger way to help raise significant awareness and money for important causes. Wow. I'm just going to, so a question here that was brought up, which organization that you worked, sports organization, you mentioned the soccer, the 86ers, uh, the Chilliwack Chiefs, uh, the BC Lions. Uh, maybe there was something we don't know about, but Zill wants to know which organization did you find the most fulfilling in your position? Oh, I would, I would say the Canucks because uh, it, during that time that I was there, the 10 years that I spent there is when Pat was there and it was the most developmental period in the history mm. of that organization. Uh, the BC Lions had had a success. They had some success when I was there, but they had some really good success in, in past years as well and have been instrumental in football throughout the province. Um, Bobby Ackles, who uh, had been the general manager when I worked with the Lions the very first time, uh, which yeah. was in the very early 90s, eight, no, End of end end of seventies, early eighties. Um, he was the general manager. Then he went down and worked in the National Hockey League, National Football League for a number of years. Um, and then after I left the the BC Lions in two thousand and one, he came back as the general manager. Uh, but he did an awful lot to spread the gospel of, of uh, football to young younger people. You, uh, wow. creating things like the Orange Helmet Awards where they uh, recognize uh, coaches and, and other professionals in uh, amateur uh, football throughout the province yeah. of Columbia. It did an awful lot uh, of bringing that awareness and, and raising the, the profile. Uh, so uh, he, he did a lot more than I did. I had more fun than anybody else when I was in, in football. We, <laughs> We had the most wonderful time. I have to tell you, if I didn't drink before then, I sure did then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was, but I was done in, in good fun and, and uh, some with some really wonderful people. Uh, during years before, uh, not, not the second time I was there, but the first time I was there, the club was still community owned, i.e. It, it, didn't, it didn't have a corporate ownership. It yeah. was uh, like a society, and uh, the directors were all business people from in town. You, most of them, quite successful, uh, but they just loved football, loved football, and they and they were uh, uh, a real fellowship amongst those guys that ran yeah. the club. And uh, 
I and the fellow who was the marketing director, Roger Upton, who, who turned out to be one of my best friends in life, um, we were kind of the worker bees that helped those guys. And uh, we, along the way, we had so much fun. It was stupid. But, uh, so. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty incredible. I was going to ask, but, but Evan can jump in. Um, you know, you, you talk about the, this notion of, of community or village and, and just building those rapport uh, with people, you know, because you're working with a variety of people with different skills and backgrounds. What, what did it take for you to build those re relationships with people? Because there was an article we read where it talked about you, as I indicated earlier, a bit of a schmoozer. You knew how to talk to people. You knew how to kind of uh, connect with them. And it sounds like a lot of these people who you met end up becoming really close to you, whether friends yeah. or just really close in your life. How, how do you go about building that rapport with those people? And what, what went into that uh, thinking? Well, oftentimes in organizations like those sports clubs, you don't have people that are good with the, good with the talking, the, the gab, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I love going out and talking to community groups, to the city, you know, the, uh, the clubs like the Lions Club or the <laughs> Badger Convertible, um, <laughs> you know, Kinsmen or, or whatever, those groups in in the in a town or a city uh, that are, are kind of the, the backbone of, of the community. Yeah, and right. so I, I didn't ever have a hesitation or an inability to get out and, and talk to them. And so uh, I always felt that part of my job was to be the face of the organization and to speak about the values of sport and the values of having those kind of clubs mm. within the community, whether it's the, the lo very local community or the, the bigger uh, all of British Columbia or even all of Canada. Um, to be able to enthuse people by having them participate in some way with these organizations uh, to me was a real signal of success uh, and we had some really good luck you know one of the ways you do that is through season ticket holders but also just with other events and you do you get involved with community events and and your pr very presence brings people out well that's a good thing in my mind yeah right i always thought that me and, and, and people that worked on my side of the business uh, had a responsibility to make those events as successful as possible. And uh, yeah, and they and, and they are. I, and I, I know that's valuable. Um, and also to, to participate in in the actual structures. Like I, I mentioned John Grisdale as the president of the BC Hockey League. Uh, what a fabulous job he did in uh, and bringing uh, the organizations up within their communities. We had 17 usually teams in the league. There are 17 towns that, that have a BCHL team where it's, it's probably the most significant sports entity in those towns. Yeah. And uh, so to get out and, and, and bring notoriety or fame to them. Yeah. Is a good thing, and so I like to participate in that. And John was very, very good at that as well. Chris Hebb now is the commissioner, okay. the president's commissioner, yeah. <laughs> um, and he does a very good job too. So uh, going, Evan, on that uh, 
not so good at talking uh, aspects. So maybe if you have some classes or courses for him, he can uh, attend. <laughs> So, um, uh, by, by the way, Glenn, the only reason that he uh, cuts in on those things is because he, he knows nothing about hockey, so he tries to talk about other stuff. Um, so, hey, let me go bring back to the Chilliwack Chief. So, one thing he we he's, tried to... He's got a nice shirt behind him on the wall there now. He, there, he you go, a... there you go. Thank hey, you. Hey, Thank I, you. I got one too, dude. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh one of the things that we try to do is try to bring a focus to hockey outside of the NHL. And we've, we just touched a little bit around the chiefs. Um, and, and the reason we do is because we believe again, that that's the heartbeat of where everyone aspires to get to the NHL, right? You know, yeah. even in other countries, including a lot of Russians that might have their own local league in the KHL, which is known as the second strongest. We'll see what's going to happen after this war though. Well, how strong that league is. Um, but coming back to the BCHL and the Chiefs, now I believe um, one of uh, so one thing that was asked here was, were you a part of the Chiefs with the uh, what I think it's called Prosper Arena or Prosper. the uh, the Prospera? Yeah, do, were you involved in that in any way in helping bring that to uh, get the building built? Did you not, have not, to not to get that one built? Um, uh, a really good friend of mine, the guy I met uh, through my work with the Canucks, um, Maury Keith. He owns the Duick, which is the okay. largest. When Maury was a young man, he loved cars and did a lot of things with cars. His goal in life was to be the biggest Chevrolet dealer in Canada. But when he bought Duick, he became the largest Chevrolet dealer in Canada at the age of 36. So Wow. You guys kind of, well, now what do I do? But anyway, you've been <laughs> lost. But, um, I forget the arena. The arena. We were talking about the arena. He was involved? He and uh, he, he built a new dealership. He, he had a, a rented facility where he ran his dealership on, on uh, Marine Drive in Vancouver. And he couldn't come to terms with the people that operated the, owned the building. And so he said, well, the heck with you, I'm going to build my own. So he built his own new dealership down the road. And the guy that won the bid to build, do the building, the building company, was a guy named Jim, Jim Bond. Well, the two of them became the, the very best of friends and the very best of business partners. They are now partners in everything they do. And so one of the things they got involved in was building community facilities like this okay. under, under the old P3 program, public-private partnerships. And uh, so that was the first one that they built is in Chilliwack. Uh, they worked with the mayor of the, at the time, and they, they built the facility on a 25-year deal, uh, which is just about up. I think it's better like a year or two to, to go. And it's all oh, finished. wow. Um, but uh, so they did that. And then I got involved with them again in 2008 or nine, um, when they had the opportunity to do another one in uh, Langley. It's called the Langley Event Center. Okay. And okay. The uh, uh, Western Hockey League Giants play in Vancouver Giants play out of there. Nice. Uh, oh, the so the Giants play actually in Langley? I didn't even know that. Langley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They used to play at the PNE, but uh, they, they didn't get along. 
<laughs> so but, so who who has ever gotten along with the peony? <laughs> well, you got you got a good point there. <laughs> I'll tell you. Like, I'll tell you. I got a little funny story for you. <laughs> so, the decision was made mostly by Arthur, but uh, on our whole, you know, working together, that we weren't going to succeed working with the peony because they just wouldn't give us a break on the rent. We were losing our shirts and they were making money hand over fist. And they just said, oh, the hell with you. That, that, that's, you. You guys are business people, you figure it out. You know? And they wouldn't do it. So we actually got to the point where the decision was either we're gonna, they're gonna sell the team or they're gonna move the team or they're gonna build their own arena. So that decision went through several significant discussions and finally it was made let's let's build our own arena and so that's how gm place now rogers arena came about ah, and okay. arthur was the guy behind that and, and what made it work because that building cost i can't remember a lot of money <laughs> and uh even as good as, as big as the hockey club was, that's not enough to make it go. And that's why he went and got the Grizzlies of the National Basketball Association. And uh, so then we were a two-team facility. <laughs> and then it worked. And he brought in some really, really good people. Uh, and uh, uh, so... so. Uh, $265 million, uh in our dollars today, but back then it was 160 million. Yeah, yeah, that's what rings it out. Yeah. Okay, so that was fun. I never worked in that building. I, I worked right up until almost the opening day, and then I, yeah. I was done. And the reason was one of the guys that Arthur brought in to uh, work on the marketing of both of the building and the club. Now you got three entities instead of just one entity who's a who's a renter. You got two clubs and a building that are all owned. Now that's a significantly bigger business. And so he had brought in a consultant from California to help with that. And he turned out to be a fabulous guy. His name's Todd Lewicki. And uh, yeah, Lewicki. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's one of the three Lewicki boys. And um, and he did such a fabulous job. And he wanted wanted to stay because they had the the things he liked he wanted to stay well he would be marketing director well i was already called marketing director so guess what hmm that says glenn we've got we got a problem here <laughs> we we have two marketing directors and only one marketing director title available <laughs> what do you think <laughs> i said i think it's todd like <laughs> No, no question. He, you know, I like to think I'm pretty good, but he's way better. And <laughs> that was the opportunity, and so that that's how I came to leave there. And uh, okay, today Todd runs the uh, Seattle Kraken. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's that a, that that's why I actually knew. Yeah, he's, a, he's an owner, and, uh, and uh, he runs the thing. Well, well, well. Hence, that's what everyone hopes is that Seattle and Vancouver can build that rivalry in the future, right? So, I haven't done anything about that yet, but I sure hope that happens. At yeah. least I haven't seen any of it. Yeah. I, I think, I think that there is some really good potential for that. 
Well, and it's it's the playoff, right? Once you get a couple playoff series behind you. There you go. So, okay, so we're gonna we're getting into the last minutes, and I know we, our stories can take a little bit long, and we want to do that. So just something quick. Uh, so Zilstra brought up uh, the roller derby community would benefit from your tutelage. Oh so yeah. Just a heads up. Remember the roller derby community. Oh, they would love your tutelage. So if you uh, don't have enough on your plate already. If, if you, you want some more, generous. yeah, Zill will set you up with the president. So, <laughs> um, okay. So uh, let's get to an interesting story. Uh, so back back in 1988 who is now known as the greatest player to ever lace up the skates. Almost everyone agrees. Wayne Gretzky. He became available in a trade to the Los Angeles Kings and Bruce McNall made it happen with the money, et cetera. Um, Was Vancouver ever in on that discussion? Because lots of rumors, some things have been said out there. What can you tell us about uh, the Vancouver Canucks wanting and trying to possibly get Wayne Gretzky into Vancouver? It wasn't then, but there was a later opportunity for us to get Wayne. And um, it was when... um, Was it when he was a free agent? Yeah. Um, Okay, so when when he wrapped up his free agency in St. Louis. And that would have been then, a few years later. A few years later. uh, Who who was the guy who became the owner of the... McNall. No, not McNall. Which team? Vancouver Canucks. Not McCall? Oh, Aquilini? No, before that. No, was it Bruce McCall was his name? Was there another? No, that's Bruce McNall. You're thinking Bruce McNall in L.A. But you are right. He was only an owner for a short period of time. Yeah, the McCall. That's not McCall. McCall, McCall. Macaws out of Seattle. They're they're big in the uh, yeah. internet poems and sh- stuff like that. Were uh, they not also part of the Grizzlies into Vancouver? Yes, they were. John they, Macaw yes. Jr. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. What happened there was Arthur had bit off more than he could chew. And yeah. He knew that, and he they needed a partner, and and Macaw, yeah. John had been hanging around the Canucks for quite a while. And he wanted in, and so now Arthur's at the point where he needed money. Yeah. And so Mr. McCaw said, oh, I got money. And so he became a partner. Well, he became, if I dare say out loud in public, not a good partner in that his intent was to squeeze Arthur out. Mm, Okay. I remember uh, this. That that might be a a too tough of a word, but... uh, Yeah. the net result is he ended up with a lion's share of Arthur's shares uh, because okay. of the way the money flowed. <laughs> and uh, um, that isn't where we started the story. Yeah, so, talking about uh, the possibility of signing uh, Wayne, Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. Oh, Wayne. Wayne. So anyway, we have, yeah, that opportunity came. And so there was big discussions. And Mr. McCaw had a guy who was really a bean counter. Mm-hmm. And all of those of us who aren't bean counters in the world look upon bean counters as nothing but trouble. Right. And, they, and they usually are. <laughs> That's the way we think. Um, 
and uh, so anyway, they, they they had a deal, and Pat was involved in it. Pat was heavy in the discussions and whatnot, and they uh, they said that they were going to uh, put a deal together. So they put a deal together for Wayne. Yeah, and they ended up coming back to the Canucks with their last counter said this is it take it or leave it and uh so pat arthur and a few other people were ready to ready to pull the pin pull it yeah. go uh this accountant said we'll wait till morning <laughs> so they they kind of tried it out and they said no it'll be an answer tonight or 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 not no he was doing brinksmanship okay yeah and so they so they they didn't get to do it next morning when they went to said, oh, i'm sorry it's too late uh, you didn't come back and oh. we made another deal oh. lost it by that much oh my goodness yeah yeah that, oh that, my goodness that could have been a very very significant so so that was the story that your son-in-law told me to get from you. And I didn't understand because in 1988, Brian Burke shared in an interview that they did, uh, they were in on it to try and make a deal uh, when they knew Wayne Gretzky was available. But Brian Burke in the end said there, we didn't have the money. There was no, just no was, way. We, you mean the first time in 88? Yeah, yeah. And so that was the only one I knew of, but this makes yeah. sense at the free agent signing yeah. because yeah. he was looking for a place to call, right? Yeah. yeah. So, wow. That that's a, that's a very interesting story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, it was a, it was a heartbreaker. Right? Yeah. And they said like, like Pat was, Pat and I don't know if you know this, Pat and I became the best of friends. <laughs> so he told me some of these inside stories and he said he was so mad. He could have just ripped somebody's head off. <laughs> and he knew who it was. And that same guy, that same bloody accountant, He's the yeah. guy who fired Pat. Oh, here's here's Pat, the the most successful management hockey management guy ever to see this town. Yeah, and and uh, they made the decision to oh, oh we're gonna we're gonna let him go. So that, oh. that flew to where Pat was, which was something like St. Louis or somewhere like that. Yeah, he was there meets him. Oh, what are you doing here? Oh well, I need to have a talk with you. Wow. You're out of here. Just like that. No discussion. So, nothing. So the the question came up, was Burry playing at that time? Would no. they have been line mates or would Burry had already been traded to Florida? No, he would have been gone by then. Yeah. He would yeah, yeah. Okay. That would make sense. Yeah. Come on, was, Andrew, I think, you should know I think this. that was no yeah. well <laughs> get him, Pablo, get him. So exactly. so, so so I gotta tell you something, Glenn. We 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 had a guy named Liam McGuire. He's he's a self-proclaimed, which he is really good, number one NHL historian. Yeah. Um, and we got him on our show. The first thing I did is asked him a question, yeah. and the question I asked wasn't really player related. And yeah. he says, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so so right away I try I tried to throw him some soft pucks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so he could line them up. <laughs> well, oh man it's, it's, so, there's uh, a, lot of, a lot of stories in the in the sports world and uh, I, i've been very very fortunate to be a part of 
some pretty exciting stuff over the years. That's so well, awesome. It's, it's really cool because you guys, you know, it was a time before social media where things didn't get out right away. It took a while before, you know, a newspaper printed that story or reporters were able to get it on the six o'clock news. So yeah. it wasn't like instant Twitter. Like this now. is happening, you know, the, an accountant ruined the, the deal for Gretzky, yeah. you know, in free agency because there would have been a ruckus in Vancouver as 2011 showed so <laughs> yeah well it's actually funny because uh when you talk like even just twitter alone so back when twitter was really getting popular this is right around the time that uh, justin schultz was going to be signing in edmonton and uh, i i was actually around a lot of uh the the management sitting only three rows behind hearing the discussion that they had kept quiet and so i overheard what was happening i got on my twitter and i actually put it out and because I was five minutes behind somebody else that was one of the insiders, right? Everyone's just like, oh, you just copied off, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just because it gets out there like instant, you know. Some, yeah, exactly. So, well, it's been an awesome time. Um, any, any any last thoughts, Pavel? Any last questions? I do want to ask you, Glenn. Yeah. You're a big, big um, proponent of BC. Uh, both myself and Evan have been. It's a beautiful province. There's a lot of amazing places to visit incredible people as you know as you are uh you know familiar yep. and and have connected with a lot of them but any place you want to highlight in bc that people need to check out whether an arena or a site that you're like this is something that every canadian or every person watching the show should see if they're visiting bc well i should say you should go play golf at predator ridge <laughs> okay mm. okay got a guy that used to work with me, he, he worked under me. And then when I left, he took a lot of my job and, and did it even more successfully than I ever did. Uh, Ricky Thompson is the head of sales at, uh, at Predator Ridge. And uh, I get to visit him whenever I, my, I have a brother who lives in uh, Vernon. Near, okay. And so yeah. whenever I go up there, I try to sneak in and, and, and see Ricky. One of the most successful and nicest guys that ever worked in, in sports. And now he, he uh, basically runs Predator Ridge or certainly the sales side of it. Oh, that's so cool. And so, and it is a beautiful place. I, I played the course years ago, long before he was there. I uh, haven't played it lately, but I'm, I'm going to maybe this summer, I'm going to really try to get up there and, and play it. And I encourage everybody else to do the same. It's wonderful. We'll, we'll wait for our invites in the mail. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, as is mentioned by Zill here, love hearing your stories, Glenn. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor, Glenn. Hopefully, uh, we'll, if we get another chance, we'll uh, do this again. And yeah. uh, I like to, I like to say that our show tonight has been sponsored by Verhage Law. Uh, and the reason I say that is because our lawyer is at Verhage Law, Tim, uh, and uh, he has generously set up this interview you and kind of preset this for us so i really appreciate your son-in-law for doing that for us <laughs> well i i like the fact that there's a verhege playing hockey now yeah carter verhege out in uh, florida yeah. that's pretty cool tim well, usually pronounces his last name is verhege verhege oh but we call him we call him verhege because it's more hockey -ish. okay my wife's been arguing with me that it's verhege so now now i guess i'm wrong it's okay <laughs> <laughs> Pavel will uh, live, not let me live that one down. So, no. well, as as always, uh, we're we're going into overtime. We always like to joke: we should not be two guys in hockey talk. We should be two guys and overtime. Thanks again, Glenn, so much for joining us here today. Pavel, any any last word? 
No, we uh, we got to get Glenn uh, funding us money for the two guys in overtime. And there you go. So that... There you go. Well, we, <laughs> no, but it's been an honor. We got to do do something that makes you famous everywhere. <laughs> but thank you. All the best, uh, all everyone, right. for tuning in tonight. Thank you so much. Remember to like, share, subscribe. Give us a follow on YouTube, Twitter, and uh, every Wednesday night at seven PM Mountain Standard Time, we are on. Uh, Glenn, we hope to have you back again on a future show, as, as Evan alluded. We appreciate your insight and the stories. They Absolutely. were fantastic. And, yeah, Evan, final thoughts? Thank yeah, you. no, i just like to say, in the old famous words of Ed Whalen, it was a ring-a-ding-dong dandy. And in the meantime, <laughs> and in between time. Keep your sticks on the ice. Stay safe. There you go. <laughs>